0: Hey, boo! It's me, Roz. So I am actually recording this right now on my birthday. So today's, well, you're listening to this, it came out on Thursday. My birthday is Wednesday, October 20th. And, um, I don't know, I'm not that much of a birthday person, but I guess it's my whole birthday week celebration. So, um... You know, if you want to get me a gift, all I ask is just to go tell your friends and your followers about Ghosted. You know, it's perfect for Halloween time, so just, you know, spread the word. That's all I ask of you. I don't need happy birthdays and balloons and cakes and strippers or any of that stuff. Just, um, wait, are strippers for birthdays or bachelorette parties? I don't know. Either way, I don't need a stripper. All I need is, um... For you to tell your friends about the show if, if you want to. I don't know. Thank you. Anyway, I had a lovely weekend. I went to Palm Springs, not to celebrate my birthday. I went for a wedding, very Hollywood style, ran into actually a lot of previous guests that have been on the show, had such a nice time. And um, I also had a psychic reading and we actually talk a bit today about this kind of thing briefly here at the top of my conversation with Michelle Bellinger on this part two. We, uh, we talk about storefront psychics and, and I went to something kind of like that. I mean, it was in a store and it was, uh, I, w- I was with my best friend, Sam pancake, former podcast guest and, we took turns getting these readings and this particular person that read me, he had a bunch of different cards. So he's like, all right, pick three of these and then, okay, now pick three of these and now like reach your hand in this mysterious bag and pick three things out of it. I'm pretty sure this was a psychic I went to. I don't know. And it was all these kind of readings where it was just kind of like, Oh, I'm just gonna tell you things about you. You know what I mean? Where it was very like, ah, okay, you're you're very strong, and you've lived an interesting life, and you like to eat food, and you breathe, and you sometimes sleep at night. It's like we get very like, okay, you could say that to anyone. You know that kind of a thing. Um, so, and then I was like, okay, well, can you like tell me a bit about my future? And he's like, we well, have to ask a specific question. And so I was like, how will I feel a year from today? I feel like that's a good question to ask a psychic or a card reader or something. And he said that a year from that day, I was going to feel very good. <laughs> He must be legit because he told me what I wanted to hear. You never know about these things. I don't know. God, I've spent so much money in my lifetime on psychics. But anyway, I should also say I unfortunately had to cancel my second live show in L.A. I apologize. I had announced it. And then I had to basically instantly cancel it last week. So very sorry about that. If anybody was hoping to go, I'm just doing the one on the Friday. It's completely sold out. You could keep an eye on my Instagram. If for some reason tickets do open up somehow, I will post about it. But other than that, you know, it's the first one back after, you know, lockdown and everything. So, um, You know, we'll see how it goes. And maybe I'll just do a bunch more. Maybe I'll do them all over the place. I'm not sure. Right before the pandemic, I had all these plans. I was going to go all over the place doing these these shows. But um, so that's the goal. That's what I hope. Maybe that's what the psychic was talking about. Um, I'm not really sure. But so I'm sorry about that for anyone that was excited to see that live show. It will not be happening. Only the one on the Friday. It's sold out. Also... Next week will be our Halloween show, I guess. I mean, it will be out on, I believe that's the 28th. So not Halloween exactly, but I thought I would do something fun and different. And I did talk about this briefly a couple weeks back. I was looking for voice notes and stories and questions and that kind of a thing. And I and I posted a bit on my social media as well. And so I decided I would do an episode by myself without any guests. I was kind of nervous. I've never done anything like that. Just me talking for like an hour. But I think it ended up great. And the team at Starburns Audio, who produced my podcast, we shot it in person on video. I almost said film. How old am I? On video. So there will be a link next week in the description of the episode where you could watch it for the first ever on-video episode. And the whole team at Starbirds did such a great job. We've got fun little cute effects, and I listen to voice notes from you guys and answer some questions, and I tell some stories, and we listen to EVPs. And it's just like, you know, it's a cute little slumber party, and I'm trying something different, and I hope you enjoy it. So look out for that Next week, as we celebrate Halloween. Oh, God, we're so close to it, which almost makes me sad. It's, uh, I get sad. I hate... Okay, I just need to be in the moment, because I get sad as I get close to Halloween, because then it means it's over. <sighs> I hope you guys are having fun. I hope you're going to all the places, all the spooky things, wherever you live, and you're watching lots of good spooky movies. Anyway... I hope I can give you a little bit more of that today with the conclusion to my conversation with Michelle Bellinger. And on this uh, second part, we get into a lot of stuff. Again, we talk about psychic stuff. We talk about conjuring demons. And then we get into world religions. Now again this is this is inspired by the book that I was reading that she wrote and she does talk a lot in the book about um the various religions uh of the world and their views on this dark sided stuff. And so we talk about that and on Patreon this week we talk even more about it. We talk about the dibbuk which is something I had heard about but I don't know a bunch about. It's a uh, Jewish mythological figure that is, you know, a malicious spirit. Some, you know, compare it to a demon. And um, she had a lot to say about it. So if you go to patreon.com slash that's on my second tier, we talk about that. And on my first tier this week, on my way home from Palm Springs with Sam, I... Did a little mini episode of the little podcast that Sam and I did a couple months ago on Patreon And I just talked to him about Halloween And it's fun, and we hear a little bit about his, his past Halloween experiences Okay, I say we get into it I hope you enjoy part two with Michelle Bellinger. On with the show! <laughs> Well, the, the last time you were on, we talked a lot about you being uh, you a know, psychic and the abilities that you have. and um, one thing that I was thinking about more as I was reading your book since it's uh, a ghost hunter's guide, was I, w- I wanted to hear more about your thoughts of when being a psychic, you know your, just your your thoughts of a psychic in terms of paranormal investigation. When is that a good tool? When is that? uh, How do you like to use it? Et cetera.
1: Well, from the last story, uh, I mentioned I always like a second or third opinion. And that goes with using a psychic for any kind of paranormal investigation, uh, especially. Psychic abilities are really useful. And also, it's really easy to be front-loaded. If you are working as the psychic, for a paranormal investigation team, you should not also be the person researching the property. Uh, You should ideally be kept in the dark as much as possible so that you have as accurate a reading as is humanly possible. Now, we can never be 100% objective, and we should always have our perceptions checked, Uh, someone, you know, if if you walk into a room and you're like, I see someone who looks like this, and I think this happened there, you shouldn't be the person who then tries to do the research to prove it. Somebody else on the team should. Uh, In my opinion, the best use of a psychic on a paranormal team is as one of the various methods used to measure, read, and perceive what's in the location uh, and should be used like any other tool which is to say taken with a grain of salt and always verified whenever possible Uh, as a psychic i try really hard not to get invested in being right or wrong i simply try to experience and report those experiences as objectively as possible with as little interpretation as possible that can be difficult when uh, you know it's just me And I'm being called on to play multiple roles. I'm I'm both the investigator and the researcher and also the person trying to solve the haunting and the person trying to, like, just read the room and get a feel for what's actually there. That requires, in my opinion, a fair amount of training for objectivity, to be able to step back and, and not let your ego get all wound up in whether you're right or how cool it is, but to just try to let things speak to you uh, and do that as safely as possible.
0: Do you have days where your psychic abilities are just like, just not, you can't, can't get it to happen.
1: Yeah. And I think anybody who works as a psychic needs to get very comfortable with saying, I got nothing. Yeah. Because if you hit a point where you're not getting anything in a space, a, there might be nothing to get, B, it just might be you that day. And if you try too hard, you may start making stuff up. That's and at that point you you, you start losing your objectivity.
0: That's my problem with like storefront psychics. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a demand for them to, to tell me something if I'm gonna go and pay my thirty dollars and I'm just like I, I do they really like get a get a hit every time or are they just, you know, coming up with something?
1: One thing I can say for sure about that is I don't trust myself to do that, which is why I don't do readings for hire, because the pressure of someone has now paid me money to tell them something. It, well, there, there is pressure to perform there, uh, and I, I get all tangled up on myself. I, I find it a lot easier to just get you know a call from from Jack or Katrina or somebody and like, hey, we got a cool space and we'd like to just throw you into it blindfolded, and I'm all like, cool, I love experiences, uh, but. You know, make me do it for money and that pressure to perform becomes a a really slippery slope.
0: So you don't feel that pressure when there's like a camera crew and and all that?
1: No, because for me, that's more experimentation. Uh, I'm getting an opportunity to be in the field and just test the abilities Uh, and I'm trusting the team around me to confirm deny or debunk anything i come up with Uh, it's a way of one sort of stretching my abilities but but more than that just get confirmation some validation that that what i'm doing has like a real effect in in the world it's not just stories that i'm telling in my head because i'm also a fiction writer like i can make some stories
0: up (laughs) Well, but doesn't, doesn't a lot of that, you know, isn't it all kind of a, what's the chicken or the egg or whatever, like, you know, doesn't it kind of inform some of the stories that you can fictionalize later as well with your writing?
1: Oh, 100%. 100%. My Shadowside series with conspiracy of angels and harsh gods and whatnot, I freely use that as a playground to experiment with what if about certain abilities Uh, And also to sort of share with people how I experience the world, but in like a bigger, louder, dramatized sort of way. Uh, Yeah, I don't think that there's a way for me to divorce the way in which I experience the world from any of my writing. Uh, It's so much an integral part of me.
0: I'm glad that you brought up Portals to Hell because, you know, that's sort of, uh That show came out right when this podcast really started. And Katrina was, I think she was my first TV Ghost Hunter guest. And mm-hmm. she's been on like three times now. And Jack's been on and you've been on. And it's become, that's become like kind of our, our definitely one of our favorite shows over here at Ghosted by Roz Dresfeles. And uh, I saw you on the most recent batch of episodes. Do you... Yeah, when you you show up to these places, I just I love watching you on these shows. You show up to these places, you confirm all this stuff, and then you're like, "All right, have fun, bye guys." <laughs> totally. <laughs> so then, what do you do? You just go back to like your a hotel room and. You...
1: <laughs> yep, hotel room or ha- half the time I literally like I drive out
0: and I turn around and I just drive back home. <laughs> Is that exhausting for you spiritually uh, or? A
1: little bit, but I think it's like training for a marathon. I've been doing that sort of stuff so much that I know how to pace myself. And even in locations that are pretty extensive uh, and, and overwhelming, I, I know when I'm wearing thin and I know when to ask to stop. Uh, uh, 20 years ago, probably wouldn't be able to just, you know, dive into Pennhurst and wander around blindfolded for like two, three hours. I have a terrible sense of time. So I literally have no idea how long these things take. Like I'm just there in my zone with the with, with the, the blindfold on and just in my head. Uh, and, you know, just kind of getting moved from space to space and just trying not to bang my head on anything. Uh, and it sort of plays out in its own none time like it's just it's just i don't know the feel of the space it's hard to describe it's really hard to put into words and i'm i'm a wordsmith yeah.
0: well a, a lot of the places that they go to like a common thread is that there may have been or there is um proof of people trying to conjure up demons or you know that sort of a thing And I have kind of an idiot question about that. Sure. I don't think any question is stupid, though, really. (laughs) When somebody's trying to summon a demon, I mean, what are they hoping is going to happen?
1: (laughs) That is a damn good question, because sometimes I really
0: wonder. (laughs) (laughs) Even as I was reading your book, I was like, wait a minute, why do people do this? Like, Especially people like, I don't know, just like a bunch of goth teenagers that just want to try it out or whatever like what then what what so then you get your demon what are you gonna do with that i think a lot of
1: modern people especially when it's younger folks who are like cool i'm gonna summon baphomet i don't know that they actually think that far ahead to actually here's my, my real thought is an awful lot of people who are trying to do that are really looking for incontrovertible proof that spirits either exist or don't. And so they shoot for the biggest, baddest, most extreme experience they can possibly think about. If that kicks their butts, they have proof. Okay. I I, I think it's really a dare to reality to prove itself or have nothing happen. Um, and make them then go home and feel better that there really aren't spooky things out there. Now, if we want to go back to uh, the the ritual magic and ceremonial magic of Middle Ages and Renaissance, they were summoning demons mainly as tutelary spirits, as uh, things to teach them and things to protect them and, and things, oh man, there are so many demons that were supposedly summoned in order to get hookups. It's really off the charts how many Spells and demons, specifically from that time period, or about getting somebody to strip naked in front of you, what? or find like like all the ladies in town to just irresistibly throw themselves at you. It is so much about just sexy times for for, for like little aspiring insults.
0: <laughs> <laughs> really? Okay. So, well, staying on this topic. Yeah. When, so somebody opens a door they bring in some kind of dark energy uh, into a space that later ends up on discovery plus's portals to hell right does so a, a demon or whatever word we want to use a dark energy why would it then now linger in that space or does it sometimes get unleashed into the world? Or does it attach to the people that open this door? Or what happens there, typically?
1: There are some beliefs that one of the reasons entities will try so hard to be called into the world is that they can't really come through on their own, that they need to be invited in some way or another. Uh, that's a a fairly deep part of folklore. And, you know, it's worked its way into like our vampire myth that like vampires must be invited inside. Mm -hmm. But that notion of invitation or the inability to cross the boundaries themselves without assistance, that has some, some compelling details to me, that there are certain things that are so alien to our world or the way in which things work in it Outside of really unique and extreme circumstances, they can't really manifest here. I also think that there are plenty of spirits that are native here and a ritual like that, rather than opening a door to let them in, creates a lot of energy, creates a lot of power to to feed them, to strengthen them, to give them a little bit more oomph for manifesting and for being present. Uh, And again, I think most spirits think with their stomachs. In the sense that everything is energy and they are energy and they need to eat as much as we do. Uh, And again, they don't have ghostly McDonald's. They eat people, they eat the emotional residue uh, of of energy from traumatic events, from joyous events. A lot of the stuff that we get on the shows, of course, are dark and negative because those are the ones that stand out. Like you're not going to port a haunting. Of a spirit that hangs around the merry-ground that makes everybody feel happy. <laughs> Nobody cares. Actually, you're just you're just thrilled that this place makes you feel delighted every time you walk in it. That spirit's still getting something out of it, but we don't find it inconvenient.
0: Yeah, I mean, I still I mean, I would prefer a, a nice, happy spirit, but. Again, I understand why people want to see on TV the dark, spooky, ooky, kooky stuff. Makes sense. Wait, I, yeah, I, I, I like the spooky stuff too. You know, something I really like in your book is the mention of different world religions and having understanding mm-hmm. understanding of... of various beliefs and you actually go through different, you know, common religions, some less common religions that we might not have know much about, and go into their beliefs on uh, you know, dark stuff and good stuff and, and, and all of that. And and so how does that benefit a ghost hunter? First of all, not every family you might be investigating will
1: be Christian. Uh, Not every location will have, you know, been Christian from start to finish. And there are a lot of different approaches to spirits, a lot of different types uh, and perspectives on what spirits are. Uh, A really good contrast is in Islam, most of what we would identify as from poltergeists to ghosts to fairies to most demons are jinn from their perspective. Um, genie yeah genies uh what what we identify as as demonic possession 99 percent of the times i guarantee if it was uh, a muslim looking at that that's just a jinn that has taken possession of a person uh incubus succubus from their perspective jinn and understanding what those perspectives are if there really is a categorical difference or if it's simply different words that we use, these help us understand people's experiences better. Uh, you don't want to go into uh, you know, a pagan household with a Catholic priest and have the Catholic priest run their ritual uh, to remove things because that doesn't speak to the pagan family at all. And vice versa, you wouldn't take a, a pagan priest and have them make a Catholic family go through a whole like, you know, casting the circle and, you know, sword and chalice and all of that, because that's not going to mean anything to them either. So having different perspectives gives us a wider arsenal, first of all, to to combat things or to assess how to combat them, but, but also how to speak to the people who are having those experiences. Because we all have different languages for what is out there beyond our physical world. And whether it's a ghost or a poltergeist, a demon or a djinn, uh, a pen and or something stranger, whether those are real or not is more immaterial. If you are a good paranormal investigator out to try to solve a haunting for people... The most important thing is the people experiencing it believe it. So you need to know why and what they might be interpreting for that belief. And then how do you deal with it from your perspective?
0: You, I mean, well, and I know you've been working on, uh, I believe last time you said you were working on a book about, is it past lives? Yeah. So how's that going? I feel like I can't imagine how much research that could lead you on. Oh,
1: that one has, okay, so I could never work on one project at once. That one has spawned a workbook, a card deck, neither of which are uh, in production yet. Uh, And I'm slowly chipping away at the past life stuff because it's so very personal. Uh, I've had memories since I was very tiny. Uh, I personally believe some of the things that I know it's not like I haven't made a point of also researching them this life, but in many cases it's stuff where I'm like, okay, I know that the ancient Egyptians had a water clock and the central part of it was in a the, the, the form of a baboon pissing and it would take a pee once on the hour, every hour. That's the weirdest thing ever to know. Does that exist?
0: It sounds yes, amazing. It
1: does. <laughs> right? But, but yes, it does. So, um, yeah, the past life stuff is is deeply personal, and trying to find the right uh, the right way to kind of navigate that because I want it to be a workable book for everyone. I don't want to just be like going, "Well, in my day, I remember blah blah blah." Like, I, I just don't want it to be an autobiographical recounting of like all of my ridiculous past life memories because that just seems well. That would
0: probably be interesting.
1: Um, I don't know that it's all that useful beyond just fun stories.
0: Well, I do like those too, but I get what you mean. I mean, do you think that your psychic abilities have, you know, gone with you in all of your past lives?
1: I definitely think that there are some things that I've carried with me over and over again. Uh, And trying to track that down was one of the first motivators when I was a teen uh, to confirm some of the things that, had come forth as probable past life memories to to try to just understand like how much of us do we carry from lifetime to lifetime? If, If this is a possible thing, like if this is part of your worldview and you accept that not only does the human soul survive death, but maybe also comes back, does it get wiped clean? Is it normal for that to happen? Does it just get, you know, kind of tossed in the unconscious bin of things that you're not really aware of, but you're carrying anyway? Uh, And, you know, how normal is it to remember as much as someone does?
0: Yeah, well, some of my favorite stories are the ones of children that have these very specific memories. And it kind of brings into question all of this stuff of how did that happen? Did it? Was that supposed to get wiped clean and it somehow leaked into this lifetime? Or why would that be? I think
1: it's telling that there's a certain age range in which children have these incredibly specific memories. Uh, I've been around children who've just been able to pull out names, who describe, you know, people or circumstances or, you know, buildings things that they've never had had access to. You know, they're, they're two, three, maybe four. Knowing a little bit about uh, theories of development and memory uh, and, and the maturation of the human brain, there's, there's a process that we go through as we grow into uh, not just our bodies, but also our neurology, where personally I think it's not that the world suppresses these memories. It's not like parents have necessarily told the kids, you know, that that's, that's not okay, or shame them into that, although that definitely happens. But I also think that as they individuate, as they get more grounded in this life and acclimate to the body and the, their geography and their family, those other memories that come forth with such clarity in their very formative years become less relevant because they are in the past. They're they're from a life that no longer has any anchor points or any context. And I do think that people are more likely to remember things that are useful to them, things that might have a resonance in this life, things that maybe teach them something useful, something survivable here and now.
0: Otherwise, again, it's just stories. Yeah. God that stuff is so fascinating to me. But in you know it's I guess that's kind of similar to the idea that kids can see ghosts, you know, as as they're mm. young and then as they get older for whatever reason there's a lot of theories that ability usually goes away usually.
1: <laughs> yeah, usually. <laughs> I like the theory that some of the most powerful witches and, and magical practitioners are children simply because it never occurs to them that they can't.
0: Mm. Right. Now, what about when we're dealing with children's spirits? Mm. Does that ring true as well? Spirits of children who died as children
1: are kind of a separate and distinct Category from spirits that appear as children. Uh, when a ghost, a human, when someone who is human dies, uh, usually the first way that they present themselves is as they remember themselves. It's a little bit like their uh, their avatar in the Matrix, uh, how they think they should look, uh, and that's how they will project themselves to people. But as we learn in tibetan buddhist uh teachings you're not stuck with that you have whatever appearance you're able to focus on and project whatever you are able to like really relate to uh so i've encountered spirits who died in their 70s died in their 80s who nevertheless appear as children because they choose to or because that's where they have anchored like that's the best place that they relate to as who they are Uh, and they're not even necessarily limited to only appearing like that they may shift along their own personal timeline it's taught me that appearance with spirits at least is also a method of communication Ah. they are communicating something with how they appear and what they project to you, uh, whether that communication is part of their personality or how they think they're going to best relate to you, but appearance is not static for spirits. That said, children's spirits are, I, I don't want to sound horrible about it, they're the closest to like what I experienced with animal spirits in the sense that they're very uncomplicated. Even if something bad happened to them, if they're hanging around and their children who died early, they're there because they want to be. They're there because they're still having fun. Very rarely have I encountered uh, genuinely a human child spirit that I felt was trapped. It felt more like they wanted to engage and just hadn't gotten bored
0: yet. What about, like, if they just don't know? That they're dead. Is that a thing? Yeah, yes, yeah, sometimes that's a thing. Uh, and that does
1: seem to be a little bit more common with with children's spirits. Or, not only do they not know, they just kind of don't care. Um, if they're engaged, they're happy to still run around doing what they're doing. There is some belief in, in various aspects of uh, spiritualism and whatnot, that when you cross over, when you die, you kind of go through this transformative process where like, you're, you're opened up to the mysteries of the universe. It's one of the, the core principles of, of medieval and, and renaissance necromancy, uh, of all things, even Greek and Roman necromancy, that crossing over meant that you had some hidden knowledge of the world, that you could prognosticate the future, that you could talk about where buried treasure was. Uh, that's never been my experience. Um, spirits are a little bit more psychic or telepathic or it's kind of the way that they communicate. They're a little bit more able to to move around once they figure that out. Uh, But it's not like they're all knowing. It's not like they're all seeing. Mm. Uh, So even a, a child spirit, they may change a little bit in their psychology and the emotional way that they interact with people. But... Only in their own time, only as they learn and grow. I really think that there's a journey uh, for any soul once it's crossed over. uh, We don't stop growing and changing. We don't stop learning. Uh, And that process, more than just sending something into the light or casting it out of space, that process is how they get over whatever they've been through. And And also, move on to whatever comes next,
0: yeah, I usually end my episodes by rattling off just a bunch of paranormal phenomenas, and then my guests you say, "Oh, I believe in that," or I heard about this or about that and i'm <laughs> I feel like if I did it <laughs> with you, it would be a whole different story, <laughs> but everything
1: comes down. Everything, I believe, comes with a qualification and footnotes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it, though. So here, I'll just list off a couple of things. Um, Just tell me, I guess it's almost like a word association kind of a thing. I don't know. What what comes to mind? Maybe you have a story or something. You know, you don't, we don't, oh. we don't, I don't, I won't make you tell me everything, but if you think of something, uh, to share about these things, um, okay. What about haunted dolls? Really cool. My wife hates them. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever owned Most, one?
1: I, I own several and keep them at Inspiration House because see above my wife hates them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Are they active Most, at the house?
1: Yeah. Um, there, there are two that have music boxes in them and uh, they will play. And uh, that's Clara and Nathan. And Clara is, whatever's attached to Clara, I don't think is a child. Um, it is a bit cheeky and annoying. Um, and she is actually the only thing that I've thought about binding in her own little space because she knocks things around sometimes and disturbs guests. Most haunted dolls are more what I would call residual hauntings. Uh, The energy, the love, the personality that someone has projected on them over a long period of time has sort of worked its way, soaked into the doll itself. And what you're responding to is a psychic imprint. Mm. But every once in a while, there's something that has gone, hey, this looks like a person, just enough for me to want to be connected to it and use it as sort of an image and an
0: anchor. I mean, is that... It's not unlike what we were talking about with psychic vampirism and the obsessing spirits, right? But yeah. with an object—a I
1: mean, doll, a puppet, uh, uh, a human image, figurine—like that's that's really old magic. Making something in the shape of a person to be host to something. Uh, thou shalt not worship false idols. The idea that you could make an idol of a god and the god would inhabit it—that all is of a piece. The idea that a doll is a human image.
0: Oh, yeah, I guess so. Because, yeah, I mean, I hear about different haunted objects, but it seems like the most common that at least I hear about are they resemble humans. I mean, I don't hear a lot about like, oh, this haunted bag of Doritos (laughs) or I don't know, various things
1: psychologically also it's easy to project a lot on again because they look like us they have a face our brains are wired to expect a personality on the other side of that face
0: what about bigfoot what do you think of that
1: i grew up watching bigfoot and wild boy and like the foggy creek monster and all that all those like weird documentaries from the 70s uh it would be really cool um I've never seen anything out in the woods myself. Uh, I'm fascinated
0: by the concept. Okay, but you're not ruling it out. It's possible. Yeah, won't rule it out. Yeah, that's probably good. What about like Loch Ness monster? Same thing.
1: I'm a little bit less likely to believe in the Loch Ness monster, but it's a nice story and <laughs> certainly a good excuse to go to Scotland.
0: Right. (laughs) Um, How about UFOs?
1: UFOs are one of the things that actually disconcerts me on a pretty deep level. I had an uncle who was in the Air Force in Vietnam. He had a really high security clearance, and he had something to do with Project Blue Book. Wow. Uh, He 100% believed in UFOs. We went UFO watching, um, he and I, uh, and I definitely saw a couple of weird things while I was with him. I, on on like a deep fundamental personal level, cannot bring myself to believe in the idea of a physical craft with actual physical beings. Like in the same way that some people hear ghosts and they're just like, nah, Um, I I have some deep, like just something in me resists that. Uh, If that were to actually like land in my backyard and there were aliens of any shape, size, or description that physically walked out. I am not sure what I would do because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. my reality would be like, huh, not that I think there's no other intelligent life in the universe. It's more that I'm like, but why would they bother to be here? Really? Um, that said, I, I don't have a problem thinking about things that could move here or travel here trans-dimensionally, inter-dimensionally, through some way that isn't strictly physical. I, I guess it really comes down to the fact that I don't know that I trust a physical craft to be able to travel in a way. It, it, it's really hard for me to wrap my head
0: around. What about time travel?
1: That gets weird and loopy. I'm not sure. I, I like to think of time... Again, part of my personal worldview is, is pretty linear, but I've also met some people who seem to experience it in a really weird way. Uh, not going to rule it out, but it comes with so many qualifications and questions for me.
0: Yeah, well, and, and okay, here's one more And this could be a lot, (laughs) you know, there's a lot of things. I I mean, any of these topics, there's a lot, but I was thinking about this as I was reading your book, the idea of curses.
1: Mm. I think that unfortunately they're used way too often to scam people into paying a lot of money to get the curse lifted that isn't actually there. Mm. Um, But, you know, is it possible to do something to someone someone magically to bind them to, uh, I can see circumstances where something, would fit the necessary uh, qualities to be called a curse.
0: Yeah. Because like sometimes um, I've talked about like movies that are cursed, you know, allegedly, mm. or, you know, there's, and then you can also get into conspiracy theories and stuff like that. And the Kennedy family has a curse on them and that sort of a thing. Um, I mean, do you think that that's possible I don't know.
1: See, I was suddenly like the, the long pause with me going back and digging through some of the, the Irish folklore that I inherited from my family. There, are definitely um, in Irish families are ideas that you could have uh, like a banshee or a spirit uh, or a family curse. And that curse gets passed on because one of your ancestors uh, broke a taboo or like made a promise that they didn't carry out from a, from a metaphysical and an, ethical standpoint I just I have a hard time thinking that reality would be that cruel that you now could be cursed for some something that one of your ancestors five generations ago did Uh, at the same time it makes me wonder about honestly more a little bit about um magical lineages or, or reincarnational stuff that we may carry forward that we might be carrying because of something we did in the past and interpret it now as a, as a curse because we don't have a better word for it.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. It's kind of similar to past life stuff and all of that. Hmm. Well, Michelle, you've been so generous with your time. Is- the com- Always good. Talking to you, it's like <laughs> I, my brain is so like I'm thinking about so many things and, and that's what I love. I love it. This is great. Uh, I guess I guess we should wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, can you tell people what you're working on and where they can find you and all that stuff?
1: Oh, let's see everything that you probably want to find is at my website at michelle Uh, if you want to learn from my classes, pick my brain in my discord and, and do other things like that. Uh, the best way to do that is to join my Patreon at patreon.com slash haunted. Uh, that's pretty much where I have this awesome community and we do weekly chats and, uh, There's a ridiculous amount of uh, recorded classes for people to poke through. So if you want to hear me talk about everything from Ouija boards to fairies to how to do in-depth energy work, uh, that's the place to go. There is my haunted Airbnb inspiration house, and you can rent that on Airbnb. And if you want to catch a little taste about it, uh, the world's most amazing vacation rentals on Netflix, uh, their Paranormal Places episode. Uh, it's the first one that they go to, and you get to see me and a Ouija board session. Woo! Mm-hmm. Uh, and Let's see, what else? I'm on Portals social to media. Hell. Oh yeah, Portals to Hell, and lots of books, a stupid amount of books. Mm-hmm. Um, and currently, uh, on top of everything else, I'm working on a couple of games. Uh, oh. So we'll see see what happens with that uh, i am an old school gamer uh D and, and various tabletop role-playing games uh i wrote material for onyx paths uh ghost hunter supplement for the world of darkness if you are a player of vampire the masquerade that's coming out fairly soon they wanted somebody who actually does it for a living to write some bits for the game and uh, i'd been writing games and running them from like forever ago as a note, it was definitely Gen Con and Origins is in Columbus, and that's only going to make any sense to other gamers.
0: <laughs> well, it's always, it's so fun to hear about people, uh, you know, a psychic, somebody that's a, a very, uh, do you call yourself an expert or, you know, a, an occult, an occultist, a demonologist, uh, all these things, that, all these titles that you have, and then to hear about, the very human things, you know, that you like as well, like playing games. I love that.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm hardcore gamer geek.
0: <laughs> <laughs> love it. <laughs> well, Michelle, you gave us the goods once again. And I love it. And I hope that you come back sometime. You know, if you got another book next time you have a book coming out or anything, please come back. Conversations
1: are always good.
0: Thank you. Thank you to Michelle Ballinger. Go to her website, buy her books. She is just the greatest. I'm so happy to get to know her, and hopefully one day I'll meet her in person and hope to have her back again some other time because, wow, has she taken us to school and taught us things, and she makes me feel better about this spooky stuff, to be honest. So if you want to hear a little bit more as we talk about the Dibook go to patreon.com slash rossdressfiles on my second tier. And on my first tier this week, you can watch me and my friend Sam driving in the car talking about Halloween. Guys, for my birthday, please tell your friends about the show. And also rate it five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you rate a, a podcast five stars. My Patreon is patreon.com slash rozdrezfalez. I am on Instagram at rozhernandez. We have the Facebook group Ghosted by Roz Drezfalez. And also, um, I'd like to do a listener episode soon. So please send your listener stories to ghostedbyroz at gmail.com with the subject line listener episode. And just put a little bit of the bullet points of what your stories look like. And, um... Next week, you're going to get to hear, and if you'd like, see me as well. So be subscribed to the show and look out for that. I love you all, both living and dead. But if I didn't ask you to haunt me, don't haunt me. Okay, bye!
1: Star Brains Avenue.
0: A podcast <clears throat> a podcast network.